Citizens of the Reject Nation, She-Hulk just had its finale. As in like seven minutes ago, we just finished the finale and you know your boy likes lists. And with that finale, it has changed where She-Hulk would rank. So let's rank all of the Disney Plus shows. All right, now please do leave a like. That does help the algorithm right there. There's a button, it's a thumb. That's a positive thing. Everybody likes a good thumbs up. We do that digitally. It helps this channel just grow and exist. Also, please leave your ranking in the comments because I genuinely want to know how you perceive these shows, what order you have. And remember, this is my experience of these shows. My life is inherently different than yours because I've lived a different life than yours. This is how I perceive the art. Isn't one is better than the other. These are my favorites and how I journeyed through these Marvel Disney Plus shows. Please do also follow me on TikTok. We got 15 seconds. We got 30 seconds. We got three minute reviews and videos and news and fan casts, all sorts of stuff that you'd see here, but a little bite-sized segment. So hunt me down over there. You guys have been great. Follow me over there. I've really appreciated it. All right, enough preamble. Let's get into it. Coming in at number nine is What If. Now, I did talk about this on the full breakdown of my entire MCU experience, so I'll be brief. But for me, What If didn't feel like it had quite the same amount of weight as other shows or other installments in the MCU. I felt like those little micro universes were kind of isolated to themselves. And then unfortunately, by the time Multiverse of Madness came out and then Zombie Wanda and Zombie Strange weren't those characters, it made it feel even more erroneous. And yes, comic books are like that. And yes, there are times where issues don't matter that much, but in the greater scheme of the MCU, everything has felt really impactful until some things recently. And what if was the first time I was like, okay, I'm enjoying this, but it doesn't feel Feel like must-see TV, so it is my lowest one of the Marvel Disney Plus shows. At number eight, we've got Hawkeye. Now, Hawkeye was one of my most anticipated. That actually might be partly my fault for this being so low because my expectations were impossibly high. I'm a huge fan of Jeremy Renner. I am a huge fan of Haley Steinfeld. I love their dynamic together. I love how they both perfectly embody Hawkeye and Hawkeye. Now, unfortunately, that's about where it ends for me. I didn't really love the B-plots. I didn't love the supporting cast as much as I usually do at these shows. Not that they were bad, but one of these things has to be number eight, so it's just lower because of the supporting cast didn't quite land for me. I did enjoy that it was an adaptation of an incredible Hawkeye run, but I didn't really feel for Move-A-Bro guys. I didn't really feel for the villainous syndicate. It also didn't make me fully endeared to Echo as much as I wanted to because I love Echo in the comic books. It did a lot of things right, but it left me feeling hollow, and then that might have been, you know, a, a reasonable thing, if not for the way I thought Kingpin came about. The, the Kingpin landing did really bother me. Uh, we still don't know what's going to be canon to the Netflix world or any of those things, but it did feel like we got a fully Who Framed Roger Rabbit almost cartoon Kingpin, and Vincent D'Onofrio is one of the most grounded powerful, sincere, earnest, interesting takes in all of comic book adaptations. So it was really hard to see him go from the Wilson Fisk we got on Netflix to this character, and it did just feel a little disingenuous. So that gives me Hawkeye at number eight. Coming in at number seven is the show we just wrapped, She-Hulk. She-Hulk's finale actually put this over Hawkeye. This would have been the number eight spot, but after that finale, I was so impressed. I really loved the first two episodes and then loved the last two episodes even more. The first two and the last two are amongst my favorite of anything in the Disney Plus Marvel Pantheon, and especially those last two episodes, I would put up against a lot of the entirety of the MCU. Unfortunately, I did struggle with some of the stuff in the middle. Unfortunately, I was aware of runtime at times. I'm also not a sitcom guy. 
So a lot of the sitcom tropes didn't quite sing for me the same way. I did appreciate its humor. I loved its meta-ness. I thought the writing was really incredible and I thought the acting was incredible. What's interesting for my brain is that sitcom writing and sitcom acting feel separate. Like there's a disconnect for me where I can be like, I can acknowledge that's good writing. I can acknowledge that's good acting. This isn't my tempo for lack of a better phrase. That said, I am really impressed at the genius of the not just forethought of what's going to be the effect of this on pop culture in the trolling in the mess that we deal with in the fandom side of commentary but in the finale they had literally spelled out everything that they knew was going to be the experience this show is not written live this isn't filmed live before a studio audience this was known by these writers and that's incredible it was able to play with awareness in the same way that She-Hulk did in the comic books in the John Byrne run of She-Hulk she literally is referencing iconic covers on her covers. There's parallels between storylines happening at the time of pop culture that you can then go reread and experience pop culture in that moment in time. Now you can do that with this show. This Disney Plus experience is unique to this time. We are here for a moment in time that we got to experience through the beautiful lens of S.H.I.E.L.D. So for that, that's an A+. That experience is like nothing I'm ever going to experience again. The first time you watch the S.H.I.E.L.D. finale, that is a before and after life moment, which I have to sing the praises of. It just didn't work for me in the middle bit and that, you know, that happens. So that makes it number seven. Love that it exists. Really appreciate the fact that I had a once in a lifetime moment with it, but something has to be number seven. Number six, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I feel like this is a show that is only going to improve with time in how it's perceived by pop culture. I feel like when Captain America 4 comes out, people are going to be like, oh my God, I did love Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This show does what a lot of Phase 4 does, but does it extremely well, and then it deals with grief. There's the running joke that after Endgame, everyone needs to go to therapy. Hey guys, Winter Soldier goes to therapy in this show. I love that it faces grief head on. I love that it faces grief in two different directions. I love that the mantle of Captain America is passed to Falcon for a reason, and we see why Bucky wasn't the guy to take the shield. And more importantly, we see why Sam Wilson was the guy to take the shield. We also get introduced to an incredible new Falcon. We also get so much great Baron Zemo. Baron Mordo is Doctor Strange. Baron Zemo is the this, this Winter Soldier situation. And I really love Daniel Bruhl's take on Baron Zemo. I think the espionage angle is great. I love the Winter Soldier movie style dynamic. And I thought they brought that really well into this show. My biggest flaw with this show is as much as I love in comic books when villains and heroes team up against all odds, I did find Baron Zemo just being chummy with our guys so immediately. Like, I don't think either of these guys would trust him even to the level they did. Obviously, there was distrust throughout the episodes. There was moments of, oh, no, I don't believe him. But it did feel like, wait a second, Baron Zemo's just just pounding around now. He literally is the reason for Civil War. So that did rub me the wrong way a little bit. But that's more than made up for with US Agent. That's more than made up for with that incredible bloodiest moment to that date in the Marvel Cinematic Universe of the beheading. I also give this a little bit of wiggle because this was a COVID juggle shuffle thing with plot lines and it dealt with a lot. So I'm a big Bucky Barnes fan. It's great to see him get to sing. I'm a big Sam Wilson fan. It was great to see him get to sing. I think this show is only going to improve people's eyes as time goes on. Number five, Moon Knight. Moon Knight is really, really interesting in that it almost had the opposite of the She-Hulk problem. They kind of acknowledge the Moon Knight problem in She-Hulk. I don't love that most of these shows are really, really powerfully dynamic in their dialogue and their prose and they take their time and they experience things and then there's a big fight at the end. Moon Knight dropped a decent amount of spots after that finale that did not work for me as well as I wanted it to. That said, everything else did. I love that this felt, felt like event TV. I love that week to week I was so intrigued by this world. I was so enamored by Mark Spector's entire existence. Sorry, Jake. Sorry. It's everyone. 
in that world and I wanted to know all of them. I wanted to experience everyone as we went through that and the acting. I think Oscar Isaac's performance here is some of the best on TV period hard stop. I think Ethan Hawke is such an interesting captivating villain up until the finale. When they're going against each other, just a power of wills and intelligence, that is such a captivating show, and it's more interesting than giant deities fighting, and that's the power of Marvel, is that the people talking is just as powerful as deities fighting, and it slipped at the end, but the whole journey to get to the end was a masterclass in style and substance. Some of the shots from Aaron and Justin, the directors of some of the episodes, were so dynamic and so powerful from the comic iconography. It looked like Greg Smallwood art come to life, and then other episodes directed by uh, Muhammad Diab felt so much like what the beating pulse of the comic is. We got visuals and we got heart. The show was so special. I really got a lot out of it. I'm very excited to see more Moon Knight in the MCU. Number four, Miss Marvel herself, Kamala Khan. That show uh, was like six months ago or three months ago. A time is a flat circle, but the entire time it was airing, I was so infatuated with us getting our modern Silver Age Spider-Man. This character to me is what I imagine it's like to go through being young now. And that's what it felt like when I was reading Spider-Man growing up. She's fighting for her hometown. She's dealing with family stuff. She's just going up against the odds. She's the ultimate underdog. And this show captured all of that. And much like the comic book, informed me a lot about a culture I don't have that much knowledge of. I don't know a lot about Muslim culture. This show brought me into that world, brought me into that family, and then in a very special episode, brought me back to a giant historic event that I knew very little about. I knew very little about everything that happened in that flashback, and then that tied up beautifully into the modern day, and then the finale was incredible. The reason this one's so high is it broke some of that, oh no, they don't know how to do a finale feeling I had had, where the ending is like a Home Alone episode in a school, and it plays with powers, it gives you one of the biggest cliffhangers in Marvel history with the sound cue of the X-Men. It reveals her as a mutant in such a clever way, and it does all of that while never being inauthentic to the pace, the tone, and the feel of the show going forward. Kamala Khan is a character that's all of us. She is literally a fan, and the actress, Amon Vellani, is literally all of us. She's one of the biggest fans, and that is Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel is in complete idolship and adoration of Captain Marvel. We felt that every step of the way, and we felt Amon being us every step of the way, and they were still able to tell this incredible story with tons of incredible set pieces and lots of genius dialogue. Really loved me some Miss Marvel, and a lot of points go to that finale, which I really dug. Number three just aired last week, and since it didn't have theatrical, we're calling it a show, but it is a special event. It is Werewolf by Night. Werewolf by Night was one of my biggest surprises out of D23 because I was so ready for this as is, but as not a giant horror comic guy, I was like, I'm gonna enjoy it. I enjoy a lot of what Marvel put that puts out. But when I saw that trailer, I was bowled over by potential. I was like, they're making a full-on 70s grindhouse film? And then what I got was even better. A full-on 30s universal monster movie experience. This is what I want out of Marvel when they take such bold swings that you're fully in another world. This movie didn't end with a giant action set piece. It stayed in tone. This special event didn't steer away from how it started in that pulpy goodness. It didn't rush. It didn't do anything that was not authentic to its story, and it debuted Michael Giacchino's directing career, hopefully to go on and do everything, because the world he made was so immediately interesting. The three characters that he was able to capture so quickly with Man-Thing, Werewolf by Night, and Elsa Bloodstone, three characters that are not easy to capture even in comic books, that all were absolute powerhouses that I care so much for that I can't wait to see where they go next, and then that color transition at the end. 
Man Thing is Man Thing. Ted is Ted here, and I loved loved Gail Garcia Bernal here as Werewolf by Night. I cannot wait to see more of how he interacts with others, and they can do all of this as a period piece or not. They could bring them forward because we don't know how werewolves age, and we know Elsa Bloodstone's Bloodstone allows for more time. We have so much potential here, and it's a thing out of time in its own way. So yes, they can interact or not, and I want more of that in the MCU. Comic books don't have to all tie together. Some of them do. I would love to see the Midnight Suns here in this world, this darker world, this gritty world. I, I loved everything about Werewolf by Night. Check out our reaction on this very channel. We do a whole review. I could talk about that for 20 minutes. It's so special. Coming in at number two is WandaVision. This one's tricky because I actually juggled between Werewolf by Night and WandaVision for two to three because I think WandaVision is the best event television we've had yet in the MCU. I think it was the best time in the commentary culture. I think we were all guessing and sharing and it felt like an actual water cooler show every single week. I literally did Instagram lives for an hour the moment after I finished an episode and just shared theories and had people in there commenting. It was a community. That is so special. Community is what I feel like when I'm in a comic book shop. When I'm standing in the back of a comic book shop, flipping through something, someone comes up and recommends something else or we start a conversation. That's what comics are to me, it's community. This was WandaVision. I loved the ship of Theseus. I loved what it was like to process grief this way. I loved all the mysteries and twists and turns, but then it did land with a lot of that getting thrown away to, to have a big apocalyptic ending, and that didn't work as much for me as I wanted it to. If it landed like the number one spot would be fighting for number one, instead it's fighting between two and three, but it did infinitely more right than it did wrong. I loved getting Spectrum this way. I loved using Darcy this way. I loved that Wanda got an incredible arc to get close to being Scarlet Witch, which then got rushed a bit. But I love that we had time to go from Wanda towards Scarlet Witch. I love that we got to process. Comic books are serialized. Comic books come out monthly. Every month I get to visit some of my favorite characters and live with them in those pages. In WandaVision, every week, I got to visit some of my favorite characters and lived with them in those frames. And that was such a unique time in TV. And I'll always remember it fondly. WandaVision is my number two. Coming in at number one, you probably guessed because it's the only one left. It is Loki. Loki to me, no notes, no changes, would want nothing different. Every scene of dialogue between Mobius and Loki, every moment shared between Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston, every single character, supporting cast, lead cast, day player, extra, stunt person, masterpiece. And then you get to have the mysteries. You get to play with continuity. You get to do time travel. You get to incorporate all the weird curviness of the Marvel comic books. You get to do what comic books are, which is seemingly have a boundless budget and boundless imagination. You get to play. You get to have a sense of play. We met variants. We met a crocodile Loki. We had a classic Loki in the incredible Richard E. Grant. We had so many moments that are so memorable, so many quotes that made me so introspective, so many things that felt like they were pulled from the comics, but that also felt unique to the medium of TV. So many visuals, so much splendor, so much wonder, so much great sci-fi, so much Mobius art, ironically, because the other character is named Mobius in the show, so much love. Even the love story between Loki, of course Loki'd love himself. So much right. And then best of all, it stuck the landing. We meet he who remains, and he is every bit what Kang needs to be without being Kang. We meet the idea of a man that knows there are others of him that's lived through time. We meet what's about to be the big threat of phase five. And he's terrifying and intense, but also not the scariest version we're gonna get. We get teased just enough to know that Kang is coming without meeting Kang, because that's what you can do with this character. We get a Shakespearean finale for a show 
about life, about what it means to be a person, what it means to be fated, what it means to make choices. We get all of that in these incredible monologues masterfully delivered by Jonathan Majors. This show, to me, is what you can do when you have perfect writing, perfect directing, perfect acting, and let the audience to experience it with you week to week, taking its time, setting up what's to come. Not only is it great by itself, as a perfect little experience. It's also great as a gateway to what's to come. It's also great as a launching point to introduce characters. That's comic books. Comic books are great in the 22 pages you get them. They're also great when you get them in a trade paperback. They're also great when you get them in a hardcover experiencing the whole year or six months or whatever size hardcover it is. They're also great when they're mixed into events. That's Loki. It's the thing that glues it all together as well as its own beautiful story. And it's all done at an A+. And Loki is a masterpiece. And I love each and every one of these shows. Again, they just had to be in an order. Something had to be last. Something had to be in the middle. Something had to be first. Any of these things, I had an incredible time watching. I got to know what your ranking is. I got nine What If, eight Hawkeye, seven She-Hulk, six Falcon Winter Soldiers, five Moon Knight, four Miss Marvel, three World by Night, two WandaVision, and one Loki. Leave your ranking in the comments below. Let me know what you thought of mine. Be nice as you can. Like, subscribe, do YouTube things as well. Hunt me down on TikTok. You guys have been really great about Koi's Comic Corner. We're going to be making more. I know it was a little slow for a minute there, but we're back. Let me know in the comments also what you want to see, whether it's, uh, you know, fan casting or comic recommendations or any sort of lists and things. Maybe, maybe why not watch another movie? You want me to watch Superman 2? Let me know. Also, comic recommendations here. Read She-Hulk's current run. It's really special. It's really fun. It's kind of the opposite of the show in that she cannot rep supers and then the x-men try to court her as far as hawkeye check out the matt fraction david aha run uh which it's based off of which the show is based off of it's really fun it's really dynamic it's really accessible so that's your hawkeye recommendation let's do one more let's go greg smallwood let's go greg smallwood's moon knight run with jeff lemire if those are your recommendations as always enjoy some comics and i appreciate each and every one of you citizens of rejignation we'll see you soon